I straight up do not read fiction anymore. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I'm exaggerating for sure, but it's kind of like for every one piece of fiction that I read, I read about four nonfiction books. Well, I kind of, the the thing that I used to get from fiction, I've been getting with um, like adventure books. Okay, yeah. Which for me, they read like fiction, like they hit the exact same spot, but they're just real life stories. So it's <laughs> like the Shackleton book or like um, Into Thin Air, like stuff like that. That's hitting that spot for me now because it's not educational, but it's like, it's just a good story. Endurance was so good. Did you finish it? I did. I finished it like a week ago. And I actually jotted that down as like, maybe we could revive the book club by (laughs) taping an episode on endurance. Yeah. There's not a ton to talk about there. But like, it's just a lot of like, dude, (laughs) can you fucking believe? (laughs) Yeah. It's just a lot of near death experiences on ice. (laughs) Yeah. It's not much else to the book, (laughs) but it's really, really good. But yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of right there with you, but with other topics. Mm. If you get the same sensations that you would reading fiction by reading John Krakauer books and and things like that, like adventure books, um, it means that you're probably looking for something different in fiction when you do read fiction than I am. And so what I get out of reading fiction, I'm also getting out of um, nonfiction books about like like spiritual adjacent spirituality adjacent uh, human condition type things like what Peter Rollins writes about. Yeah. Um, I just started this book searching for Sunday by Rachel Held Evans, which is really, really good. And, um, you know, I've, I've been so I've been reading for the past few years, like I've been constantly reading books about why isn't Christianity better? Yeah. <laughs> and um, just like, you know, the empathy that I would get in fiction um, if the author was good at their job, I've been getting from those types of books for the past few years primarily. Um, and that's not to say that I haven't been getting it from reading fiction, but mm. I think I also reached a point where my taste in fiction changed. Yeah. So I might be in this limbo state where I don't know what it changed to. Yeah. And that's why it's hard for me to just like pick something up and enjoy it in the way that I, that I used to, because my bookshelves are chock full of novels that I developed a taste for in my twenties. Yeah. So now I'm like, what, what do I like to read anymore? (laughs) Yeah. And I'm still trying to figure that out when it comes to fiction. So that's definitely a part of it too. Do you ever find that it's harder to trust fiction I don't know, kind of like before you know the author's voice or before you've really gotten familiar with the topic or whatever. Like I find that nonfiction or biography style, like like the endurance, um, stuff like that, it's a much wider mark that they have to hit for me in terms of like the language or the style or the the way that they treat a topic. Like I'm a lot more forgiving. Like there's still stuff that I'll be like, this just kind of ruined it for me. But Overall, it's like, as long as they can write and they have a little bit of flair, it, it works for me. But with fiction, there's the way that certain authors will turn a phrase will just turn me off because it'll feel like fiction. Like, it'll just feel like this is oh, yeah. somebody okay. that knows that they're a fiction writer. Right. And they're writing the way a character in a fiction book would speak because they know that they're a fiction writer. And it just fucking yeah. bums me out. You know, you just framed that in a way that I never would have thought to frame it. 
but I've had that experience so many times and I haven't known exactly what it is. And part of it is definitely taking for granted the fact that it's not real. Yeah. And so it doesn't have to sound realistic. Yeah. It's like you can hear the author sometimes just too much. And like the best ones I find, they don't leave fingerprints. Like they just kind of, you get so sucked in so fast. Like I read um, Lost Horizons. That one was great. That was where Shangri-La comes from. Oh, you told me about that a while back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was an awesome book. And, uh, and that was one of those where I was like, you just like kind of lock into a groove with it. Mm-hmm. And there's no, there's no arrogance to it. Like you just, the author just stays out of the way and you don't hear a lot of like bullshit quips that make you think that they just wanted to stick that in there so that they can kind of wear a scarf with impunity now or something like that. And it's just like, I love authors that can do that. Hemingway to his credit does come close to that a lot of times for me. He also does it in a 10 times as arrogant way when he does do it. Oh yeah. But because it's something about having that much economy and also still managing to do that, that's just extra douchey. But overall, like he, he's pretty cool with that. And, uh, mm. but I don't know. I just find that um, it's, it's harder for me to turn that filter down with fiction than it is for nonfiction. And I think there's a certain amount of trepidation that goes into going down a new fiction rabbit hole. The only exceptions being like if you recommend something to me or like somebody that I, I like trust sends me a book or tells me that, hey, check this out. I'm much more likely to just like go into it kind of as a blank slate and just get into it because I'm like, all right, well, they got into it and I trust their eye. So, hmm. but yeah, if I'm like thumbing through the shelves at the library, it's much more likely to be a nonfiction or an adventure story. And I've been in that groove for a while now. It's interesting to think about because... We've talked about similar subjects a lot and like kind of needing empathy from art. And for so long, I was the type of writer who needed to know that there was a market for his work. Yeah. Meaning because my means of self-expression were through fiction writing. Mm. There was a fear that I wouldn't be able to express myself to a receptive audience and therefore would not be seen or heard if there weren't a market for that type of writing, for the type of writing that I was doing. So I was much more likely to appreciate an author that wrote fiction similar to what I was writing. Yeah. And so I don't have to go through that list of people now, but like I'm thinking of authors like that and like whether they, whether they were good at it and whether they had an influence on me being good at it and whether I was good at it. (laughs) And uh, I don't really know, but one of the reasons that I don't read as much fiction anymore might be because I, and one of the reasons that my tastes have changed is probably because I'm not really a fiction writer anymore. Like it's not something that I devote a lot of my energy to, and therefore I don't need to keep up the knowledge that the market exists for it. Yeah. And so I'm not keeping up with what authors are writing what kind of fiction anymore and trying to relate to them so that I can have a touchstone for the value of my own work. Yeah. Maybe that's why I don't know who to listen to now either. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, I mean, I get that too with music mostly, yeah. but like, that's a big factor in what, I, yeah. what I'm listening to at a given time. But like, what were some of the authors that you gravitated towards there? Well, I had that thought because I was thinking about Brad Easton Ellis and how he kind of 
did what you were saying. Well, as you were describing that, I was thinking about how when you write fiction, you have to commit to a lot of different voices. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I think he did really well was every time he had a first person narrator, that narrator, and I think this is true of a lot of authors and a lot of different types of work where there's an internal monologue that is different from the external dialogue. Yeah. Where like something's going on in a narrator's mind that isn't being expressed yeah. and is different from what is being expressed in dialogue. Yeah. And so I thought of him as someone who writes a lot of first person narration where there's just like horrible thoughts going on in, yeah. <laughs> in the protagonist's <laughs> mind. But that that person is carrying out conversations that are tonally completely different from the inner monologue. Yeah. And so Brady Stanellis, say what you will about him, is someone who very successfully commits to different voices, not only in like the people who are speaking, but also in the narrator and, you know, Rules of Attraction is a is a great book by him. And I love the movie as well, where like there are each chat it switches narrators from chapter to chapter. Yeah. And so he does that with like seven different narrators over and over again. And in my opinion, pretty successfully, where everyone has an inner monologue that is completely different from their external dialogue. Yeah, and that takes a lot of um a lot of skill and a lot of discipline to write like that. Like that's absolutely a huge respect for people that can do that. So what do you think it is that crosses that line then? Like the like I, the only way I've been able to ever express it is like the leaving prints, you know, like that right. idea that like you can hear the author's ego or whatever on the characters in some way. Well, but it's not just that you can hear the author's ego. It's also that the author doesn't know how to stylistically represent their characters. And so if like yeah. everyone speaks the same way. Yeah, that's true. That's a sign of a bad writer. If everybody speaks, like, if there's no tonal difference between narration and dialogue. Yeah. That's the sign of a of a bad writer or a writer who's not trying hard enough or who hasn't received enough criticism or isn't disciplined, you know. But I've even seen it with good writers, like, and I've tried to narrow it down. I mean, good in the sense that, like, they've been elevated to the level of, like, classic, but... It's. I've tried to figure out, is it like a, an economy of language thing? Is it just a dialect that they use or don't use? And I've never been able to really pin it down. But like, for example, As I Lay Dying never grabbed me. I, I got absolutely nothing from that book. Mm-hmm. And I tried. It just, it didn't do a flicker of emotional damage to me. Like, I, I just didn't feel anything. And that one is heralded as such a, a classic book. And I do kind of see why, but I've noticed that like it, books that kind of write in that style, I just feel sometimes like this is, I don't know. It just feels forced. It feels kind of like this is how you're supposed to write a book like this. So this is how everybody's going to talk. And these are the problems we're going to have. And, and I don't know, maybe that's even a function of just me being born and raised in the Northeast. Like I don't have as much exposure to that kind of culture. So it might sound unnatural to me because I've never heard people speak like that. But hmm. I like that was a pretty economical book. It shoots pretty straight. Like it's just kind of there's not a lot of hot dog in there. And then you contrast that with something like Fitzgerald, like most of the Fitzgerald books. And there's a lot of flourishes. It's mm-hmm. you know like it's by no means 
like that Faulkner or like kind of Hemingway style of just like these absolutely straight shots. He kind of dances around and like plays with you a little bit. But every time I've read a Fitzgerald book, I've been like, good God, for like a mm-hmm. week afterwards, just like, holy Christ, like he just gets into every single character and the images are so vivid and the language is musical and it's like, so I'm, I'm finding it's not the same mark that they have to hit every single time. It's like that mark gets revealed as I read the book and then mm. they may or may not hit it. But I don't think I go into it with a sense of like, this is the bar. Mm. So I'm always surprised when they'd miss the bar because I didn't even know what it was. So like, what do you think it is? Oh, it's so many different things. <laughs> it is, first of all, that written fiction or prose fiction is a relatively young art form. That's true. We're in the fourth century of it being commonplace yeah. as compared to drama, which is millennia old. Yeah. Um, it is also that in the early stages of that art form, that wasn't as big a deal. You know, it was like if you were popular as an author, it was because your work was good enough to make it into newspapers and serialized and published that way. And so what people wanted was your voice. Yeah. Because you had that kind of popularity and notoriety and people developed relationships with you as a storyteller because of your stylistic choices. And so those stylistic choices weren't being compared to as many things, first of all. Second of all, it didn't matter if you put that ego on the page because... That ego is the whole point that people noticed you and that you're getting paid to do what you do. Yeah. Third of all, there is such a broad expanse of prose fiction that some of it is literary, and that's where I would say that it does matter that you make those stylistic choices. I can't use the word correctly here, but like wisely. Yeah. And with some forms of fiction, I'm looking at I don't know, romance novels or something like that. Like, I'm not, I don't want to downplay any genre or camp of fiction, but with some of them, I'm sure that like the readers don't care as much. You know what? I'm going to throw in James Patterson under the bus. (laughs) (laughs) A James Patterson reader is not necessarily going to pick up on those nuances that make some stylistic choices detestable to people like you and me. Yeah. Whereas there is like a market for those stylistic choices in more literary fiction. Yeah. And so like it's different markets and it's different genres and it's also different lineages that people are inspired by and that they like kind of choose to latch onto and mimic or maybe not mimic, but, you know, try to honor. Yeah. And the main thing I think is that It's a form of writing where everything that we are criticizing is not true for certain genres of it. Yeah. (laughs) Or like is not meant to be criticized in certain certain camps of the art form or is not worth criticizing in certain camps of the art form. So it's like, should we only really be criticizing literary fiction because it's what's meant to have the most impact on us as a culture and as a society? Yeah. And is it worth criticizing? I mean, it's definitely worth criticizing the things that are deemed as literary fiction that don't have that impact on us. Yeah. But then if that's the stance you're taking, then like, 
why was it deemed literary in the first place? And yeah. why has it been canonized in the way that it's been canonized? And how do how were people responding to it at the time that it was deemed literary fiction that made it worthy of canonization? Yeah. And so that's why there's an entire field of study around literature that unearths these mysteries. Like, why was this important to people? Yeah. And if I can't read it as relevant to me and my culture, my society, my present day experience now, then why is this literary fiction? And is it as timeless as it was presumed to be when it was deemed worthy of canon? Yeah. And then so much of it is just completely subjective too. Like it's just like, I I'm wary of like criticizing books or authors in this way. Like I like to do it. Like it's fun in, in like a conversation away but as far as like actually like resting on a criticism it it, it just doesn't always feel right because i i think sometimes the, the stuff that i'm actually shitting on it's just whether or not i locked in with the book and it doesn't really have anything to do with whether the author was good or not or whether they did their job or not it's just was i able to kind of suspend my disbelief effectively or how much work did i have to do essentially like, did i just <laughs> get to like kind of clip onto this this thing and just go. Yeah. Like that's what got me into Hunter Thompson when I first read him was like that first page of, of Fear and Loathing. I was just like, holy shit, <laughs> this is like the way to start a book, man. And yeah. uh, I, I love his style and it doesn't always have to be that fast paced, but I've noticed that, that there's something about the way that words can kind of dance and then you can also get into the characters' heads a little bit and like it just starts to develop dimensions as it goes. And I, maybe there's even a through line because I, I remember him in some interview talking about Fitzgerald and how he would type up the great Gatsby on a typewriter. Right. To, like that whole, we've probably talked about that on mic, but just to see what it felt like to write that book. Yeah. And you can kind of hear it in his writing as much as like you wouldn't consider like Hunter Thompson and Fitzgerald in like the same cocktail party, you know, like it just doesn't quite compute, but hmm. you can kind of hear it. So for all I know, this is just a taste thing that I haven't really figured out yet, but I don't know. I've always been curious about it because I see it in journalism too. Mm -hmm. So I know it's not just restricted to fiction or to literature. It's something about about voice. And I don't know if it's about punches that the author is pulling or punches that they're not pulling or that they should be or, or what. But oh, hmm. I don't know, man. I've been yanking at this thread a lot this year trying to figure out once and for all what the hell it is because I'll just get turned off and I can't turn it back on or I'll be turned on and hooked for life with an author. Mm -hmm.